Hey guys, welcome to Thrive Bites, the official podcast of Dr. Colin Zhu, aka The Chef Doc. On every episode, I talk with health and wellness experts from all over the world, such as doctors, chefs, dietitians, coaches, and many more. And I sit down with them and have casual conversations about plant-based lifestyle, how to elevate our emotional resilience, and what it really means to thrive. And I bring all of this to you. So let's get to this week's episode. Okay, guys, welcome to another episode of Thrive Bites. I'm your host, Colin Zhu, and uh, thank you for coming in. We got a great guest for you today. Um, his name is Jonathan Bonnet, MD, and uh, he's a good friend of mine, um, and I'm so, so, so thrilled that he's here. Say hi to everyone, John. Hey, how are you guys doing? It's a pleasure to be here, and nice to speak with you as well, Colin. Yeah. Um, John and I go way back, um, just to kind of give you a, a little bit of snippet. Uh, so Dr. Bonnet is a board-certified sports, obesity, and lifestyle medicine physician. Uh, right now, he's uh, pursuing his uh, master's in public health at Harvard, and he is doing it big. He has a background in exercise physiology and a certified personal trainer. So just, uh, you know, don't underestimate this guy. He is awesome, and he's a nice person in real life. So I'm super excited. We've uh, been really, really long-time friends. We go way back. How far do we go back, John? It's probably one of the first ACL meetings we went to. I want to say probably 2012 or 2013, one of those two. That was the first yeah. ACL meeting I was at, and there was only a handful of us younger physicians. So <laughs> it was a fun time. Yeah. It was definitely a fun time. Um, so for those of you who don't know, um, ACLM stands for the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, and we were a very uh, rambunctious, uh, really, really, uh, you know, just anxious to be out there type of uh, energy to us. And uh, I think, I think you, me, and uh, another good friend of um, ours, uh, Ingrid um, Edstein, Dr. Edstein, uh, we started. We were the first uh, professionals in training. Um, to really start that group of uh, medical students and residents for the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. And for those of you who don't know, it's an institution that really, really hones in on lifestyle uh, evidence-based approaches to be able to prevent, treat, and reverse uh, chronic disease. So that's how John and I met, and uh, I'm so glad to be able to, you know, chat with you today. Um, so tell me, tell the audience members a little bit about your story, John. Um, I know you're a wealth of knowledge. You pursued a lot of different things, but tell everyone how you came into medicine and then ultimately wanted to pursue in the realms of lifestyle and uh, obesity, which I think is very interesting. I think it started uh, just mostly in undergrad um, in college, and that was where I sort of fell in love with exercise and physical activity and just totally appreciated like the changes it had personally in my own life um, just from working out and then I you know decided I was going to change my diet and lo and behold more good things happened and so it was really an end of one for me at that time that said hey like there's something to all this like stuff that makes me feel great and like why shouldn't everybody feel as good as I do um, so I think that was what initially sort of hooked me and so I loved I, I did exercise physiology in, in undergrad and that's when I did some personal training um, at the end of college, um, before ultimately deciding that exercise is wonderful, and I totally could have stayed in that world. Um, but I felt like I had other interests 
and other ways that I was interested in trying to better people's lives. And I felt that medicine would probably give me a few more options than just doing either exercise testing or, you know, personal training in a gym Mm -hmm. to, you know, improve the overall health of people beyond just those um, specific tools. So that was what drew me to medical school. Um, So I actually stayed at Ohio State for medical school. Um, Had sort of decided that sports medicine was probably uh, an appropriate fit for me given my interest in exercise and love working out with people and um, doing all we can to make and keep them active, you know, over the, the lifespan. And so family medicine, again, to me is like one of the best places to have real preventative mm-hmm. care. Although there's a preventive medicine specialty, it's not as clinically based as family medicine is. So you sort of have more options by doing family medicine rather than true just preventative medicine. Um, so it felt like a, a good fit for me. Um, so I found a fantastic residency program um, at Duke in North Carolina. Loved my time there. Met like one of my best friends during residency. That was where I found the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. Didn't even know that existed. But that was totally the thing mm-hmm. that I've been passionate about my whole life is trying to figure out ways to promote health, prevent disease, and help people achieve their optimal health. Um, so I got involved with that early on. There was no board exam. There wasn't a real sort of pass for lifestyle medicine, despite all of the people I asked and was hoping to tell me how to get there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but so anyway, so did family medicine, finished that up, decided I was going to follow through with my you know, dream to do sports medicine. Came down to the University of Florida, did sports medicine for a year there. Totally loved it. Um, really an honor and a privilege to be able to go work on the sidelines with athletes, be it you know basically college games, and just get a whole different perspective of like what athletes go through, how you can sort of care and treat for them, how you can help improve their performance, and how you can also just be a support supportive physician um, in the background of like all of the big games and things that go on. So really really fun. And then finished sports medicine, and again having lots of interest and again, still pursuing this concept of optimal health and wellness. I think we Mm -hmm. all can appreciate how much obesity impacts the United States and even the world at this time. So to me, like I totally felt inadequately prepared to help prevent, to treat, and, you know, even try to reverse obesity in terms of the tools that we traditionally had. So had the opportunity to do um, sort of like a mini crash course fellowship in obesity and medicine, um, learned a ton of physiology that, I just never mm. been exposed to through medicine, like in medical school or in residency. Um, so just, again, another set of tools to me to use to try and help promote health and wellness and, you know, get people feeling and moving in their best. And so that was what sort of led me there. And then lifestyle medicine ultimately got their board exam, and that's what drew me to that. And then, you know, I'm a lifelong learner, and so I'm, I'm a sucker <laughs> for education. Um, so I had an opportunity to do um, a master's in public health um, at Harvard and Decided I didn't want to turn that down, so um, I'll actually be finishing in May um, with that. But again, more tools to try and impact um, yeah. health on a public sort of large scale approach rather than just the clinical one on one. So yeah. you could argue they're all a little bit disparate sort of things, but I, I would sort of um, suggest that they're actually all just different approaches to wellness. I mean, yeah. how you do family medicine, how you do sports medicine, how you do obesity medicine, lifestyle medicine. Fundamentally, those are all the lifestyle medicine behaviors as your primary treatment source, and then adding adjunct secondary treatments as appropriate or necessary. Yeah. To me, it's all a wellness package of treating a whole person. It's just giving yourself a few different tools to figure out how to do it. Hey, guys, we're going to be taking a short break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. 
Welcome back to Thrive Bites. Let's get back to the interview. Yeah, and uh, quite a uh, yeah. Thanks for sharing. And quite a um, toolbox you've definitely uh, you know accumulated over time. Um, just for just to kind of um, you know uh, you know I'll share my experiences where you know I felt like in school we didn't have enough uh, you know nutrition. Uh, there wasn't enough, uh, in my opinion, uh, exercise, physiology, or, you know, just really, you know, we definitely had anatomy. We definitely have physiology and, you know, just learning about how disease develops, um, you know, through courses and stuff. But I'm curious on, you know, and obviously you kind of, you know, felt like there was a lack, right? And then that's why you saw so many different components. But just to kind of share with the audience, um, you know, why is it that, you know, in your opinion, uh, there wasn't, you know, no, number one, do you feel like medical school training, you know, in general, uh, adequately prepares, you know, most physicians nowadays, you know, is, you know, why, why is that the case? Do you feel, um, you know, we're inadequately prepared and, you know, why, why, because of that, you know, why do you think that's important to what we're facing now on a day to day? As much as I'd love to throw medical school under the bus and blame them for ailments and problems with the healthcare system, I think they're doing the best they can. And I say this for a number of reasons. I think one, the challenge with medicine is that it has gotten so complex and there's so much information that it is absolutely impossible for any person on the planet to actually grasp, understand, and learn all that you need to know in medicine to be mm-hmm. a truly, you know, master holistic that can do everything. And that's why mm-hmm. we've developed subspecialties in niche areas. And so the, the challenge with medical school is that every single person in their specialty thinks it is the best thing on the planet and the most important, and that taking a single minute away would be nothing but the worst thing you could do. And adding in something else just seems like, well, there's already so much here, we can't put more things in. And so I think the challenge is there's lots of important things to know. And then we've sort of had to rethink what it is we actually need trainees to go away with and what we prioritize. And what we've prioritized in medicine has largely shifted from like the traditional sort of healing concept and more of a business in the practice of medicine where much of it is determined by reimbursement, it's determined by insurance, what procedures are paid for, what medica- medications you can prescribe that insurance will cover. And so a lot of it has been sort of dictated by what you ultimately get paid to do in the end Mm-hmm. Those things are important mm-hmm. because you need to make a living. It's also important that you very much know and can sort of understand those, those things that you can be a, you know, a quote-unquote successful physician. So I think that has made it a bit more challenging to sort of underscore some of the, the primary drivers of disease because it's, yeah. it's much easier to do it in a piecewise fashion where you have a single pill that solves a single problem, which historically medicine has done really, really well at. But now we have this you know, epidemic of chronic disease where there's no pill that solves chronic disease. It just solely prolongs it. And so I think that's where we sort of struggled in transitioning people to finding effective ways to really deal with chronic disease in a way that traditional medicine typically could just do the single pill approach to solve problems. Yeah, definitely. And I agree with that. I mean, uh, you know, I, I I really valued my medical training and it's not to underestimate anyone's, you know, and I can't speak on everyone's behalf, but, you know, there's just so much, um, you know, information to learn. And I agree with you. You can only pack in so much. And 
there's actually been a lot of conversations, um, you know, and, and debates and discussions whether to actually prolong um, medical school training um, or even residency um, because there's just so much information. And so, um, but I think, I think, you know, I agree with you. It's, you know, the healthcare system's geared towards um, really, really just operating and treating a pill for an ill. You know, that's where it's currently at right now. And for better or worse, um, you know, our, our economy can't really take it. I, you know, right now it's taking up, you know, as much as a fifth of our gross domestic product. And so something needs to change. And so a part of that change and shift in thinking, uh, which I like to call a paradigm shift, is, uh, you know, just really, really, uh, you know, focusing on the front end. And what I mean by this is prevention, you know, and I think, John, you would agree would be, you know, uh, prevention, you know, that old uh, uh, saying is, you know, is, uh, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth, you know, <laughs> so much in the thousands of a hospital bill on the back end, you know, if uh, you don't take care of yourself. Um, so with all your different accolades, and, you know, you've been awarded so many different times, you've been you know, um, you know, you've had uh, research published on your end. Where do you feel like you can take your, um, you know, your education and the drive that you're on right now? Like, what do you, what do you hopefully um, envision, you know, down the road, um, you know, through your methods of, uh, you know, uh, uh, pursuing and approaching medicine right now? You know, I, I don't have a, I've never really mapped out my true exact plan. And, you know, when I did that, you know, five, 10 years ago, it turned out to be radically different from where I ended up. And so <laughs> while I don't have like a crystal ball or, you know, dead set ideas of where I need to be, I can tell you that things that are very appealing to me and that I've enjoyed in the past are the ability to take care of patients one-on-one -on -one because I think there's something really special about the physician-patient relationship. And I think regardless of what I ended up doing long-term, in some capacity, I still want to hold on to that and make that part of my daily or routine life just because I think the ability to connect one-on-one -on -one gives you so much in terms of connection and reward and sort of satisfaction being able to help somebody else and be able to see and feel it in person. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that's something I'll always do. So whatever I end up doing, some, some component of patient care will be there. I think on the larger scale, the, the beauty of whether it's an academic appointment or splitting time between seeing patients and also publishing or doing research, it gives you the ability to then sort of do things on a, a broader, larger scale. So while you can touch, you know, how many hundreds or thousands of patients in a year, you know, you write a study or help, you know, move something along in the research world, I mean, you can affect thousands and millions of people, you know, yeah. from a new paper, a new finding, or a new approach, or you know, a paradigm shift in treatment plan. So I think in some other ways, like, that's the way to have the quote-unquote biggest impact on humanity. So I think that probably will continue to be a part of my life, too, in some capacity. And then, I, you know, the third stool of teaching, you know, you have your research, you have your clinic, um, and then you have patient care. But I think teaching of the next generation of physicians, I think, is also important just because yeah. it's sort of your opportunity to say, hey, like, these are the things I learned, these are the mistakes I made. I want you to be the best clinician. And also, you know, selfishly, I want you to be able to take care of me better than I take care of my patients when I get old. So, uh, yeah. I think part of that paying it forward, I mean, I, I, there's no chance I would be where I'm at without all of the mentors and the people mm -hmm. above me that have given me opportunities, have believed in me, and have helped me along that path. And so, I think it's just part of that whole cycle of being able to pay back and then pay forward for other people to do the same. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. 
Yeah, I uh, I agree with you. I mean, uh, teaching is such a great, um, you know, great uh, medium. Um, and I think it's something that, um, you know, just really, really impresses upon a generation after us or, you know, even, even a generation above us, you know. I mean, I think that teaching is just something that is priceless in its uh, quality of value, you know, no matter what you're teaching. And um, I think with your wealth of knowledge, um, it is o- only – you know, within one person, you know, it's only, it's only like fantastic to be able to, you know, convey that to someone else. And, you know, I mean, John, I mean, like Dr. Bonnet here, he, he has an amazing bedside manner. Um, he's, he communicates very effectively. And, you know, I have no doubt, you know, whatever uh, academic appointment, if you pursue it, you know, you would do it so effectively and, you know, awesomely. So, um, Hey guys, we're going to be taking a short break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Thrive Bites. Let's get back to the interview. Uh, I want I want to share with the uh, audience members because we've been talking about you know lifestyle medicine. Um, can you give me uh, in your uh, in your perspective, like what is lifestyle medicine? Um, you know, for those of us who don't know, or you know, for maybe healthcare providers that are listening in, um, you know, just hearing this for the first time, like what is lifestyle medicine, and uh, where do you see it? You know, moving forward, and what kind of role does it play in our current uh, healthcare? Um, uh, paradigm right now. Sure, yeah, I'd be happy to. So the way I think about lifestyle medicine is that really it's, to me, it's just good medicine, number one, but essentially the, the concept being that you have people who have chronic disease or maybe generally well or healthy, but they have lifestyle medicine is you take lifestyle medicine or lifestyle behaviors and use those as your predominant modes of treatment. So if you come in with high blood sugar or high blood pressure, whatever your ailment might be, the thought process behind it would be what sort of lifestyle factors can we sort of manipulate or sort of alter to improve your condition, not only to treat it, but in some cases reverse it. Um, obviously, prevention sort of inherent within the other two, but the lifestyle pillars that most people would describe who would be using your diet or your nutrition, things you eat day to day, um, physical activity, your exercise, sleep, um, having ways to cope, manage, and deal with stress, and having loving, meaningful relationships, and mm-hmm. also not smoking or not abusing other substances. David mm-hmm. Katz eloquently put that lifestyle medicine can basically be the sum of your six pillars of what you do with your feet, your fork, and your fingers, and that's physical activity, your diet, not smoking or using any toxic substances, and then sleep, stress, and love. So I think it's a pretty simple way to think about the different lifestyle behaviors that I'm generally referring to and using those to prevent, treat, and reverse disease. Yeah, and uh, I mean, those pillars can't be stressed enough. I mean, just in my own uh, one-on-one encounters with patients, I mean, I spend a good uh, at least, you know, 10 minutes of quality time just going over this with every single patient, even if they don't even come in for, for example, you know, discussing about their diabetes or high blood pressure. You know, there's always some way of um, uh, basically uh, interweaving this into the conversation. And I think that's part of the art of medicine is really uh, just 
you know, being able to convey these nuances because they're so important, you know, and, um, uh, you know, I feel like a lot of patients would be able to relate where, you know, they just, you know, don't like the fact that doctors are in and out or they stare at the screen or all they do is give them a prescription. You know, they really, really, really value a, a provider or physician or healthcare provider um, because nowadays we don't not just have physicians, but we also have nurse practitioners. We have physician assistants, uh, you know, helping our patients out. Um, but they really like the provider to be able to sit down and educate them and tell them um, or at least, you know, share with them recommendations on, you know, what to do and what to eat and where to go and, you know, what, what are the next, um, next steps, you know, for those of them that, you know, really, really want to be proactive, you know. Um, and so where do you feel lifestyle medicine is going? Is there a certain horizon from your perspective? Um, you know, do you feel like it's going to be more and more prominent? Um, in the future of healthcare, or do you feel like it's just going to be a straightforward component of everything? In terms of lifestyle medicine and where I think it's going and where we're at right now, so I, I think we are undergoing a shift in healthcare, and this is primarily due to our inability to really provide good care for chronic disease. I mean, if you put sort of health on a continuum where you have death at one end and you have basically optimal health or optimal functioning on the other end, you have sort of disease next to death, and you also have sort of wellness next to this sort of optimal function. And the general trajectory on that curve for the default sort of life in the United States is a gradual slide to the left, right? So you slowly develop some chronic diseases, maybe you get a second one, maybe you have a heart attack, and then obviously you slowly go down to the death portion, um, which where most of us don't want to be. And medicine mm -hmm. has gotten really good it's slowing your decline to the left. Mm. And other than, you know, acute traumas or, you know, acute bacterial infections, which we do have really good treatments for, pretty much what we do is slow the progression. And I think the beauty in the, the appeal to lifestyle medicine to me is that it's one of the few things we have in medicine that not only stops you from going to the left, but can actually get you or towards death, but actually get you going to the, the other off, the opposite side, towards wellness and towards mm vitality. And so to me, that's a much better option to treat somebody with something that's not just going to slowly make them worse, but actually improve their health. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. So I, I think to me, there, there's a big shift because as anyone knows who has a chronic condition, those medications that you're generally on, you're on for life for diabetes, for hypertension, unless you do some sort of lifestyle change, whether that's losing weight or changing your diet or being active or doing something else that sort of mm -hmm, profoundly mm -hmm. shifts the, the underlying physiology that you have. Mm -hmm. So I think there's going to be more and more of it. I think the, the big change that, or I guess sort of the big elephant in the room is, is payment, and that's really where lifestyle medicine sort of is um, mm. its biggest challenge currently because it's really easy to capture visits and patients and bills through insurance using prescriptions. Somebody comes in, they get a prescription, they leave. When you're talking about lifestyle medicine, it's not like you can just write a pill for that. It takes time. You have to develop relationships. You have mm -hmm. to work with the patient over time. And that's expensive. Time is expensive, generally speaking. And so to get real reimbursement for that is going to take a shift in how we have our current payment mechanism set up through insurance and through other venues. And so I think right now the system is sort of trying to figure out how to incorporate it and how 
people would be willing to pay for that sort of service. But mm-hmm. I think we will get there, and I think there is more than sufficient evidence to suggest that much of the chronic disease that is out there is preventable. I mean, numbers would suggest up to 80% is preventable, but I think even within the stuff that you can't prevent, certainly the treatment and potentially reversal, again, reversal being something that no medicine can ever do. And so you can imagine if you have a, di- a person who has diabetes that's taking medication for life, you can imagine how much that costs to take whether it's insulin every day or metformin or sulfonylureas or whatever their medication regimen is yeah. indefinitely versus if you can get them to be non-diabetic anymore. I mean, you, you have to imagine not only the economic value, but just the personal value to the patient. I mean, yeah. it's phenomenal to not have to take shots every day. I, mean, yeah. I can't imagine what I'd pay to to get that <laughs> sort of switch in my life of not yeah. having to do that. Well, not only that, I mean, like, you know, you also have to consider, you know, the side effects of medication. I mean, you know, for those of you that are listening, you know, we have something called the, uh, the PDR or the physician's desk re- uh, reference. And it is probably like, you know, uh, three Bibles thick, you know, um, you know, it, it's so thick of a book. And most of it is you know, really, really listing all the possible side effects that come with medications. And so, you know, I can't think of anything, you know, that has almost zero side effects. You know, it gives you more, if anything, it gives you positive, you know, effects, you know, uh, you know good energy, better sleep, you know, you lose weight, um, you know, you, you have less, uh, you know, requirement, you know, on medication than lifestyle medicine, you know, um, and uh, I, I think it's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's quite frankly the best medicine that we have because yeah. it does all those things. And if even and if it nothing did nothing but extend your life, that would be one thing. And mm-hmm. I think longevity is super important and one of my personal obsessions and fascinations. But I think beyond just the extension of life and like prolonging or preventing heart attacks or putting them off for a decade or a stroke or cancers or whatever, but when you sort of alluded to this is that the quality of your life is what really makes a big difference. And that's what, that's when you get mm-hmm. buy-in because when you get somebody who sleeps better, I mean, any person listening to this has certainly been sleep deprived at some point in their life, whether it was one night or a week or a month. I mean, and you know how you feel after you've gotten yeah. not many hours of sleep. You're, yeah. You're anxious, you're irritable. Things make you mad easier. And it's just not a great state of being. You don't have good energy to do things. And, like, nobody really likes feeling like that. Mm-hmm. So imagine mm-hmm. fixing your sleep. Imagine giving your body the most nutritious food you can, having great energy levels throughout the day, having good physical function, good muscle strength to be able to do the things you do with ease, and then being able to have your stress managed so you're not anxious and worried and stressed out all the time. I mean, the effects of that are profound. And again, not even speaking to the the longevity that you get, but the improvement in health span is, I think, that's for the real value for patients. And that's, yeah. I mean, that's that's why I do all those things, you know. <laughs> and it's, the side effect of, you know, adding years to life is great, but adding years to lives, now that's, that's really what lifestyle medicine is all about. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Hey guys, don't forget, there's a part two to this. Stay tuned. Hey guys, that was another episode of Thrive Bites. 
If you like that episode, please subscribe and follow weekly for new episodes. And don't forget to rate us on Apple Podcasts.